We all know that we have to save for a rainy day. That's how the saying goes. We were never taught to save for a global pandemic that has claimed millions of lives, kept us in our homes for our own safety, and ground economies to a halt. Nope. No one told us that we have to save for that. This B-Side episode is part of Money Talks, a series on personal finance produced by Metro Bank and Business World. In this episode, Metro Bank First Vice President Shori Chan speaks with Santiago J. Arnaiz, a Business World contributor and Day3 Innovations Chief Operating Officer, about when and how to graduate from saving to investing, and how COVID-19 has changed the way we think about saving for a rainy day. Over the many years you've spent in the banking industry, uh, you've surely accumulated countless insights into consumer behavior. So I'm curious, what big behavioral changes stemming from the ongoing pandemic have stood out to you? I mean, while it's totally unique, COVID-19 isn't the first crisis that we faced as a global community. But has it changed how people look at savings and budgeting in any interesting, unique ways? I have been in banking for over 27 years now. And what the pandemic has actually shown me or taught me is this. While I speak to friends, to customers, to acquaintances in the bank, the basic tenets of saving, budgeting, or investing is still there. However, customers are beginning to rethink, am I saving enough? Am I spending too much? How should I budget my finances? So there is just that utter consciousness of rethinking how things are to be done and in what magnitude saving or investing can be done and in what manner expenses can be reduced or what have you. So I think that's a basic observation I've had over the last year and a half. I'd love to dive in a little more into the tweaking of those fundamental truths. Now, So conventional wisdom holds that we should all aim to have savings enough to cover at least six months of expenses. But in a post-pandemic world, knowing what we know now, does that still hold true in your opinion? How much should I have in the bank before I can rest easy at night? As a financial markets practitioner and in investment distribution, I've always espoused that people should be conscious of setting aside a portion of their earnings for savings and from savings graduate into considering investing because saving is not synonymous to investing. But right now, what substantially changed in that perspective is this. While we say that we begin considering in saving from the excess funds we derive from our net income, one begins to think and reassess. Would this current state or stream of income that I have be there three, six, 12 months from now? The uncertainty or that factor of ambiguity in the future has led people to rethink Will this money I'm saving or investing be needed in the next couple of months when in fact I thought I wouldn't need it in five years? Will this amount of income I have be enough to even cover for emergency needs? This is a very pressing concern right now amongst the ordinary Filipino because before we seem to have that confidence of stability, stability of where we are if we have businesses, if we are employed, we kind of are able to project that I'm going to have this income stream in the next couple of years. But lo and behold, the pandemic happened, and none of us are as certain as before that this could persist in the years or months to come. 
So what has happened here is that while before I used to say that six months of saving would probably be enough to cover for any liquidity requirement, I think we would have to think twice because the nature of emergency needs, the nature of expenses that could possibly happen, COVID requirements is just one among those uh, requirements. It has become so pressing for all of us that we might want to consider expanding or deepening that amount of savings that we might need anytime soon to beyond the six-month requirement for expenses. This sounds like you're touching on a pretty broad-reaching paradigm shift amongst Filipinos. So on the topic of conventional wisdom, are there other fundamental concepts around saving that you feel need updating today, or perhaps just as interesting, that have managed to hold true through the pandemic? A basic concept that each one must know about is that we must be able to assess our financial wellness from what comes in to our coffers every month, meaning income, whether from employment or from business or from other sources. We pit this against what we are projecting as expenses at any given day, month, or year, or beyond that. What remains after you look at your inflows versus your outflows consists what we call savings in its basic sense. Now, savings right now becomes the source of initial setting aside for an unforeseen event in our lives. I don't equate yet saving with investing. A lot of us get confused that when we have extra from the inflow minus the outflow, we automatically consider that as an investable fund. But I would say that that's probably the net inflow and outflow would become the primary savings level of any given person. Once we determine that amount right now, the next question would have been, I mean, pandemic or not, do I need this excess amount that I have in my account? If there is an unforeseen need, whether it's health-related, it's maybe technology or gadget-related or household-related, would this amount I set aside be enough? If you're able to project that minus all of these uncertain expenses, there is something left. I would say that's the amount to be considered for a person now to think maybe it's worth exploring that I can invest this money and I could leave it with my financial institution for more than six months or a year that we have discussed earlier. So this is something I would repeatedly tell my customers and friends alike who seek my advice on what they should do with their money. But I go back to one basic question again. Liquidity, not a very technical term, but I would explain. Liquidity is the ability for anyone to convert savings into cash. So liquidity means you are easily able to access your money in whatever current form it is and be able to use it for an unforeseen expense. So if there is any doubt in your mind that if, let's say, a family member would need help or probably my car will count out in a few months, then that is an amount that you should always keep liquid so that you can substitute or you can spend for that unforeseen need. Second would be, 
we have mentioned that after you determine that you have this enough savings and no matter how you think about it, no matter how you compute on unforeseen expenses, you seem to have still an extra amount that you couldn't possibly need. Then we talk about investing. That is still a universal truth that has not changed over the years, pandemic or not. Investing is making sure that funds or money that you might not need in the medium term, which we typically would say two to three years, to the long term, which is beyond five years, you would want your money to work for you. You would want that extra fund that you will not need to earn more than what it already is earning currently. A universal truth that would have probably progressed or evolved over the years and more so in the pandemic would be the need to have better returns, the need for diversity in what you could possibly invest in. Another evolving truth would be clients are now more knowledgeable with technology and access to the internet, access to financial institutions here and outside the country. They are more exposed on what they could get into. And that's something very noteworthy to mention because our clients, especially the younger ones, are very open to possibilities, are very open to diversity, very open to exploring what is out there that was not available to Filipino investors in the past. This is a bit of a two-pronged question uh, around generational differences. First, what differences do you see between people across age groups when it comes to saving and budgeting? And second, would you chalk those differences up to differences in generations, so Gen Z, Millennial, Gen X, or to differences in life stages? While age suggests certain habits or patterns of saving and investing for customers, I would rather take a look at the life stage because the life stage would determine or dictate the manner of behavior when it comes to finances. So when people are still in the stage of accumulation, and this usually happens to the younger generation, but at the accumulation stage, typically the behavior is we spend more in the pie of our income, we have a bigger allocation for expenses. And so customers who are at this stage of accumulation would have a lesser propensity to save As they grow older, the life stage becomes more stable. Probably at this middle stage, they are settling down. Their children would have been probably already in middle school or high school. So the tendency to acquire more has stabilized or has lessened, but not quite eradicated totally. So we're talking about total expenses to total income. And the higher you go in terms of life stage, The third being, you are in a more mature family, probably at this stage, your children are in college or already finishing college, then the percentage of expenses is going to slow down. And the last stage, if I may mention, would be more of thinking of retirement, more of thinking of ways to prepare or plan your legacy and what to pass on to the next generation. Now, how do we now see the pattern of saving and uh, aggressiveness over these life stages? We see that as you are still starting out, 
your need for liquidity is typically higher. You would want to have access to your funds because at this early stage of still building your careers, building your families, so the need for liquidity would be there. And as they grow older or mature in their life stage, people begin to think, I might not need as much liquid funds. I might not need to have access to this much amount of money as much as I used to when I was younger. They begin to think of longevity. They begin to think that I can explore options that I never used to consider before. And the degree of aggressiveness, Tiago, increases as you are more confident that I have enough in my stash that if I probably have an investment that can lose money mark to market, but not really in reality, I can probably stomach more risk because I'm more stable. And so the journey of a saver to becoming an investor changes over time. There is a pattern we see. But there is no hard and fast rule because we can also see young people early on that are quite aggressive. And I would believe that the function of aggressiveness is not just basically on need, but it's also a basic function of how much in totality do I have or can I afford to invest or to even lose mark to market. So there is a self-awareness of the degree of sophistication and the degree of need and the degree of risk that I want to take. And that's what determines where you are in your life stage as an investor. In building an investment portfolio, how do we go about constructing that as we're moving through those life stages? What are the things that we need to keep in mind? One of the things that we need to think about when constructing a portfolio, by the way, portfolio is just nothing but think of a pie and how you would divide it according to where you're going to get into. So that's just a basic uh, description. So think about putting a little bit of funds that are liquid or readily accessible. Maybe put a little something on fixed rate where this could address your need for periodic income. And that will address probably an income stream that uh, would help you with the expenses that you are projecting for your life in the next couple of months or years. Then there is a component that you might want to go longer term into. Put a little something of uh, each asset class so that the type of risk that your funds or you as an investor is getting into becomes lesser. But spreading the risk it's not just all about percentages and the asset types. We can also actually spread the risk or construct a portfolio based on tenors or term of the investment. So for example, we know that there is typically a correlation where longer-term instruments would probably be giving you better yields or better earnings. And medium-term is at this level and short-term essentially would be giving you the least yield among all. But because you want to divide the pie uh, on tenors, what you're essentially doing is you are also spreading your risk because if interest rates suddenly start going up, you have only a certain portion that's locked up for five years and that rate and that, that is fixed for five years. And that rate could probably be lower than what you could get now. So what am I saying? 
risk and portfolio construction can come in different forms. We can talk about maturity dates. We can talk about assets. We can even construct a portfolio that doesn't put everything in Philippine pesos. So depending on your financial institution, you can put in US dollar or even third currencies, depending on your appetite for it. So there's a, a whole wide world of uh, ways to skin the cat. There's a whole wide world for you to be able to sit down and discuss how and why and in what manner I could construct my portfolio. At the end of it all, it will have to be about your in investment objectives, your tolerance for risk, and your requirement for liquidity. So all those will come into play as we uh, financial market practitioners discuss with a customer. Ideally, I suppose we'd all have enough money set aside to take us through our retirements uh, while also staying liquid enough to respond to emergencies or seize opportunities as they arise. Allow me to take this opportunity for some free informal financial advice. Uh, where exactly should one keep their savings then? Start first with a basic deposit account. Observe how and when and why you have to put that money in the bank. Secondly, ask yourself, do I need this money? It all circles back to all these basic questions I've mentioned earlier. So if the answer is I need liquidity, banks have an array or a menu of products. You can never imagine how diverse the products can be in the financial markets, Tiago. So let's begin with the basic safest time deposits. And I believe it's not even considered an investment just yet because it's a deposit with insurance components. So you are assured that if anything goes south with your institution, there is a bit of insurance coverage there. Then if you are willing to take on a notch higher, there are fixed income instruments available in the market. When I say fixed income, these are indebtedness of corporations or of the country, of the governments which you can tap. You can ask your investment consultants or your financial institution. So these are fixed income instruments at the second layer. So we call them typically, if it's government issued, it's government securities. If these are corporate issuances, we call them corporate bonds or notes. So as we go higher into the levels or different types of assets available for an investor, we must also consider that the risk involved and the risk would typically be, who is issuing this paper that I'm about to invest in? Which institution am I getting it from? So these are the very basic concerns which I would like our listeners to really be aware of. Because whenever you deal with a financial institution, whenever you deal with an instrument, you subscribe to it, there is a degree of risk you have to take. As an investor, beyond fixed income, and you say, fixed income, I get a fixed rate. I'm able to plan my income over a certain fixed tenor or a fixed term. So you can expect to have that inflow day, uh, month in, month out, or quarter in and quarter out. But if you think, this is not a tune with my expectations, or you might say, this is too small versus what I am programming my income to be from my excess funds. What other instruments beyond fixed income can I get into? So there's a wide array. You can get into the stock market 
whether onshore, meaning Philippines, investing in the equities market offshore, meaning abroad. So there is just so much there that you can tap. When you diversify as an investor, people might think, I'm in the Philippines, my money's in pesos, so I have to invest in pesos. No, 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 definitely not. That is not going to be a restriction. We have the flexibility to explore even investing in non-peso denominated investments, whether it's fixed income, whether it's equities, and other structured products if your financial institution is offering those. I was talking earlier about how the world of investments has changed over time, how diverse our opportunities are. This is where I want to emphasize that the critical point that an investor would have to be mindful about is the access to these financial investments or securities or assets is so free that you can actually approach any financial institution that you are comfortable dealing with and could potentially be led to talk to specialists within that institution. Ask them. Feel free to explore. Talk to people who are in touch of financial markets so they can sit down with you. Advice is free, I'm sure. And they can tell you, they can profile your suitability and your preferences and match these with your needs and objectives. Just as a quick follow-up to that, Jari, you fleshed out a number of different products available, but there are also a number of different financial institutions available. How do you find the right partner to guide you along your saving and investing journey? It's very essential that, number one, you're very comfortable with the bank or the financial institution you deal with. That's the given. Secondly, find the institution where you feel that you are going to wake up the next day feeling confident that your money is with a stable and safe bank or investment house. But talking about the selection of a financial advisor or an investment specialist for you. If I were an investor, I would choose a bank or an investment manager or a financial advisor that would be very interested to know my thinking, to know my needs, to know my worries, even that, to know my life stage. Because as you put all of these questions together, you would know that the person you're talking to is not out there to sell. The person that you are talking to is out there to provide a solution to a need. Only then would you build an element of trust because the product that you will be asked to choose from can be readily explained in the context of where you are as an investor or as a saver. The best financial advisor is somebody who will turn you away or who will turn you down, saying you would want this product, but it is not suitable at your current state because of this and that. That is the best financial advisor, I'd like to think. That person is concerned about your suitability more than making a sale on you. It seems there's a fair bit of pessimism today around our financial futures, following the devastating effects of the ongoing pandemic, right? Uh, So maybe we can end with a bit of practical advice for those struggling to manage their budgets and hold on to their savings. Uh, What insights can you share with our listeners in that regard? I'm talking 
personally because I really believe in the basics of financial wellness. So I want to go back to this as we speak to as many um, on financial wellness and education. Let's not think yet of investing. Let's not think yet of saving. Here and now, let's evaluate where we are. Let's put down in writing, if possible, all your income sources. Tally all your expenses at any given day, month, or year. This has to be done for you to be able to have a strong starting point. Assume the worst in income. What if you lose that income stream? What if your income stream slows down? What if your income stream stagnates? So if the inflow of anything is lessened, how do you navigate and still maintain financial wellness? If you cannot control the inflow, what must you do? Then let us reduce the outflow. Very basic. If I can't increase my income, I should decrease my expenses. It is not important how much you earn. It is more important how much you save. So this growing pessimism should turn into this attitude of growing awareness and that deliberate act to be able to manage our finances well. Once we snap out of it and once we have a very firm grasp of how we should be able to turn this uncertainty into a situation where we are in control responsibly of our finances, then we are on the right track to determine whether from what we save, we can go a notch higher and actually invest. And from investing, we would be able to ascertain for ourselves, am I making my money work for me? Am I buying financial security because I've actually paid myself first by putting aside some amount of fund which can give me financial wellness and security in the future. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Metrobank First Vice President Shori Chan, who just gave you more than 20 minutes of free advice. You have your assignment. Get a piece of paper and write down your money in versus your money out. And when you're ready to start investing, Remember what Ms. Chan said, the best financial advisor is someone who can actually say no to you. This B-Side episode is part of Money Talks, a series on personal finance produced by Metro Bank and Business World. It was recorded remotely on November 4. The interview was done by Santiago Giernais, a Business World contributor and chief operating officer of health startup Day3 Innovations, with research by Business World special features writer J.B. Beltran. It was edited and mixed by Paolo L. Lopez. This is Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening.